We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast coming at you on a Friday. What a glorious time it is. What a glorious time it is to be alive and be a Knicks fan. Um, New York, of course, as you know, coming off their win the other night in uh, New Orleans are two games above 500. Two, two games above 500 there in the sixth seed. Um, I am recording this intro on uh, Thursday at about 20 to seven. I don't think the outcome of the Hawks game tonight will change their seating. No, because the Hawks are ahead of us. Um, you'll have to excuse me. I just did a whole newsletter earlier today, um, which uh, you could find in your inboxes if you are a subscriber on the rest of this next season and how I think it will go, how I think it could go and where I think they need to get to to make it. A lot of analysis in there on some other teams that they're competing for playoff spots with. So if you're interested in all that, check that out. Um, that starts tonight with a game against the Dallas Mavericks in Dallas. And to commemorate the second matchup of the season with aforementioned Dallas Mavericks, we have as special a guest as I think we have had on the show because, man, oh boy, are you in for a treat. So today's guest is Mike Bassick. Um, if you are a baseball fan, especially if you're a Met fan, or um, if you happen to be watching a certain Mr. Bonds towards the end of his career, you're going to know Mike Bassett because Mike Bassett 
pitch for the Mets um, in the early part of this century. And he also gave up Barry Bonds' 756th home run ball. Um, we did talk to him a little bit about the Mets and uh, a little bit about the Bonds home run towards the end. But most of this conversation was about the Mavs um, because he covers them for uh, 105.3, the fan um, in Dallas. And let me tell you, um, you are, again, in for a treat because, Mike, without without being – um, you know, hyperbolic or unfair or anything. He gives some very honest opinions about some folks, uh, one folk in particular down in Dallas right now. Um, I don't need to say who he is. Um, we talk about KP. Um, we talk about Luca a lot. Uh, we talk about Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, um, Julius Randle. Uh, it's one of, I could say this, genuinely more enjoyable and fun conversations um, that we have had on this podcast in a very long time. And um, it's, uh, yeah, you're in for a treat. So Mike Bassick's coming up right now. A um, couple other quick reminders. If you want to check out um, my thoughts on the Dallas game that is occurring tonight, uh, tune into the Knicks Film School YouTube channel after the game. Or if you're not into uh, YouTube content, just refresh your um, feed, uh, I guess, tomorrow morning when uh, we will turn that live stream into a post-game podcast, uh, courtesy of our wonderful producer, Andrew Claudio. Um, so check that out. Also, a reminder, uh, if you are not on Locker Room yet, what are you waiting for? Locker Room is the wave of the future. Get on that. It's an app. It looks like a little sock. Hold on. I'm going to pull it out, up right now. It's a it's a blue. It's a white sock with a red background. That's how you know you have downloaded the correct app. Um, we are going on Locker Room. Uh, it's, we're doing it every week at the same time. It's Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. Um, just go on there and you'll find our chat. Um, you could come up on the stage. You could talk to me. Um, you could, you know, um, yell at me for any bad takes that I've had in the past, whatever you want to do. Um, so check that out. And am I forgetting anything? Um, oh, uh, let's uh, let's uh, plug the, the merch store because um, it, that stuff is flying off the shelves. So what you're going to want to do um, is you're going to want to go to the uh, Nick's Film School Twitter account, um, which is just Nick Film School, or you could just put next film school. I think either one will make it come up. And there's a pin tweet there that has a link to uh, all the stuff that we're doing. But one of those things is the merchandise store. Um, so you could get hoodie shirts. I think my, uh, my wife told me um, before that she ordered some kind of a woman's t-shirt that we're waiting to come in the mail. Um, so that's exciting. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll make sure we, uh, we get a family photo in an upcoming newsletter of myself in my hoodie and my wife in her t-shirt, something, something to, look forward to anyway i think that's it uh let's get to my conversation with mike bassick joining us now on the Knicks film school podcast uh this is a first we have had over 300 episodes but this is the first time we have had um a former major leaguer joining us on the show we're going to talk a little bit about baseball at the end but for the most part we are going to spend some time talking about the team that he covers um for uh 105.3 the fan um in texas he also does rangers pre and post games on valley sports southwest I am very, very, very excited to talk to Mike Bassick. Mike, how are you, my man? Man, I'm doing good, Jonathan. I'm excited because basketball is just – I love watching and talking basketball. I love baseball too, love football, but 
I grew up here in the 80s in Dallas with Mark Aguirre and Rolando nice. Blackman and Derek Harper. If Roy Tarpley wouldn't have been on drugs and hurt, it might have been a different story there in the late 80s, early 90s. I'm already going to go off script and you because you brought him up. Um, I will go to my grave saying if the Knicks had won the 94 finals, Derek Harper deserved. I don't know if he would have gotten it. I don't know if he would have gotten it. He deserved to be the MVP of that finals, though. Yeah, man, he was a tough player. I mean, he defense and, and just, uh, you know, good point guard skills. One of those guys where you're like, man, when you look at his career, you're like, it's one of those guys where you're like, he probably deserved to be an all-star, kind of like Michael Conley this year, but at just least. was never an all-star. Yeah, weird situation. I mean, it, it, and it's funny, you bring it up, that those Dallas teams, I feel like, in the annals of NBA history, get a little bit lost to time unfairly when they had some really strong years. And I don't... I, I guess I, I don't really know quite why that is, but it, it, I do feel that is the case. It just broke up so quick. Like right yeah. when they were rising in 88, they take the Lakers to game seven. And yeah. then Mark Aguirre doesn't want to be here anymore. Roy Tarpley gets hurt and then he gets back on drugs and then bam, it's just over, you know? Yeah. And we had, and I almost forgot we had Blackman too for, um, yeah. for that finals, which a lot of people wish uh, Pat Riley had, had uh, switched up his rotation in game seven, but we don't have time to talk about that now. Um, what we are going to talk about is uh, the current maps because uh, look, I mean, people in New York, uh, myself included, um, I think would like to, would like to just kind of, ignore certain aspects of the connection between these two franchises, but they are there um, and they exist and there are opinions and takes, and and we're going to get into some of them right now before we get to, um, you know, who I got to talk about Luca first. So we're recording this on Thursday, a little behind the scenes. So I'm sitting there after our game last night, we, we uh, beat new Orleans. I'm writing my newsletter for today. I'm like, Ooh, Mavs are down. I'm going to go turn on the TV because I have to root against the Mavs because that is my, I mean, listen, I'm just being honest. And then I'll see, okay, Grayson Allen, good Grayson Allen, good little free throw shooter. Miss one, miss two. And I did, I didn't even need to see the last play. I said, how much time is there? 1.8. Okay. He's, it's going to go in and it does. And um, I just, what are you, you said, I think I saw something you said today, Luca, you think he's the best player in the NBA? Um I'm going to put you on the spot. You, you, can you defend that take? Because that's a, that's a spicy one. It's a spicy one. I'll say this. It's a really tough place to defend because when we look at playoff experience, playoff success, that's how we judge NBA players. So I get it. I get he's played in six playoff games and won two of them. But what I'm seeing from him in a different way, he's totally different. But what I'm seeing is I'm seeing 86 Jordan. I'm seeing 0405 LeBron. I'm seeing Larry Bird and Magic Johnson in the early 80s. Like, he's his own guy. Those guys were their own guy. Like, Dirk's my favorite player of all time. Dirk, and he's MVP of the league. Like, this dude's better than Dirk. Like, I've just never seen – I shouldn't say I've never seen – I just put him in the already, like he needs to have a a much longer career and win some championships. But I feel like I'm watching one of the greatest players ever grow up. It, it, uh, it's funny. You mentioned, I literally have right here in my notes, um, reference Mike slash magic and LeBron slash Kobe in the years you mentioned, it was like, Mike was, people were already saying it about Mike and people were already saying it about LeBron, but there was Kobe still had the title because he had won and magic still had the title because he had won. And now it's like LeBron has the title because he's won. Do, do you think that there's anything that Dallas can do this year 
for the general NBA consensus to come over to where you're you're at and and give him the the, the goat title for for the moment. If he were to make it to the Western Conference Finals because it's stacked, right? I mean, yeah. there's not a true – like, if the Lakers are 100% healthy, I do think they're the true favorite, even though they won't be a top three seed. But if he were to somehow play in the play-in situation, win that game, let's just say beat the Phoenix Suns, which I think would be a big deal, but not a huge deal. But then if favored. he were to Don't take on – They'll be favored against the Suns. I, I think they would be. I think it'll be very close. Like, I think it'll be kind of people look at it and go, dude, Aiton and Booker have no experience. Yes, Paul has a lot, but those two guys have to have good series and they haven't played in a playoff game yet. So you would be having two teams with quite a bit of lack of experience with Chris Paul having quite a bit on the court. So I, I hear you. It would be very close. But if they beat Phoenix, and then let's just say it's the Clippers. Right now they're the three seed. And they were to beat the Clippers – I think all of a sudden everybody's like, this dude just turned 22 and now he's in the conference finals with, you know, my opinion is not a true number two on the team. We're getting there. And some bad role players. And uh, Van Gundy, I'll just say this, Van Gundy last night, late in the second quarter goes, I've never seen a guy make so many great passes that their teammates miss. I mean, he gives God, if he was on a good team, like a really good team with good role players, I think he would average 12 or 13 assists a night and not have to score 30 a game. I don't think Luca wants to score 30 a game. I think he looks at his team and goes, I have to score 30 a game. Yeah. um, Again, you're, you're, uh, you're giving me softballs here because my next question was to ask you, who is the second best player on the Dallas Mavericks currently? It's Porzingis when he plays, which is 60% of the time, but (laughs) You can't rely on that. You, you have to have home court advantage in the playoffs. There was no real playoffs last year. It all counted. The Lakers won the championship. But for the Mavericks, for the first time ever in the playoffs, they, didn't, they don't know what it's like. None of those guys know what it's like yet to go on the road and have 20,000 people against you. And, you know, for your role players to, you know, pretty much poop their pants on the road and not be able to do anything, go, whoa, whoa, whoa. The star players and the role players go, we got to work our butt off in the regular season because we don't want some, you know, decision, some big time moments. We want that one more extra home game. And mm. so last year they don't know. And, and humans in general, unfortunately, we usually have to go through the experience ourselves to go like, oh, that wasn't good. I don't want to go through that again. How do I not go through that again? And so for the Mavericks right now, a lot of lack of experience. I think a lot of lack of talent on the team. I think Luca is carrying a bunch of guys that on better teams would never be in the rotation or come off the bench for 15 to 20 minutes. And the second best player, it's it's KP when he's out there, but I think Luka gets really ticked off at him that he's not out there much. Really? I mean, Luka doesn't miss – I know he's missed a couple games this year, right. but he he's – and that's the, the thing um, – a quick aside, I got into a lot of trouble with this fan base, um, which I occasionally do, not too often. Uh, before the season, when I, I wrote, um, I would sign for, because obviously we have the Mavs pick this year, I said I would sign for 21, the for 21st pick in the draft before the season started. And people were, you're nuts. One Luca turned ankle, it changes everything. I'm like, look, this kid is built a certain way. He's a, whether he wins the MVP this year, or he wins the MVP in a couple of years. And I just, I'm with you. I think Luca has, he, he get he wants to be out there and KP. Do you get the sense that it's just, is it not that important to him? Is this an organizational decision that he's not playing so many games or where are you at? So 
listening to Nick fans on Twitter when the trade was made and months into it and all the negative feedback as a optimistic fan of getting a guy who just made the all-star team at 22 years old, you're like, all right, fine. He's going to get healthy and he's going to improve and he's going to get any even better. He hasn't even reached his peak. He's still three to five years away from even realizing what he can and can't do in this league. And unfortunately it hasn't been like that at all. And in fact, um, he complains at times about the minutes that he gets, like he wants to control the minutes. Like early on in the season, Carlisle was playing Porzingis the first six minutes of the game and then taking him out for three to four minutes and playing him the last two to three minutes of the first quarter. And then the first four minutes of the second quarter, kind of giving him six minute spurts of time. And to, cause he's an injured guy all the time. And guess what? Porzingis complained about it. So what he did is he now plays Luca the first six minutes and sits him out three minutes. So Porzingis ego can play the first 10 to 12 minutes of the game as long as he's not in foul trouble and get into his rhythm that he says he has to have in that first quarter to really have a productive game. And then the other night is a few games ago, he had like 28 points, didn't uh, shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. And he complained about it. So then it was like kind of force feeding him the next game to make sure Luca's okay. He's kind of like, to me, he's kind of like a diva wide receiver. Except sometimes the diva wide receiver, you know, will have big time moments in clutch situations. And I like, I know I'm talking bad about Porzingis. I like Porzingis and I would live with Porzingis if he was healthy. But with all of that, then you miss 33 to 40% of the games because of load management and injury. Like you try to keep the dude healthy and he still can't stay healthy. For me, the Mavericks have to get a better number two player. If Luca is going to end up being that guy that wins championships, you know? So, so the interest, first of all, you're, you're uh, I think a lot of Nick fans are falling in love with you uh, as you're talking. Um, Cause I mean, look, there's, and I've, I've come to come to peace with the trade. I think in retrospect, it was the right move for the Knicks. Um, I think the things that have happened since then have, have proven it to be in the long term, the, in the best interest for the franchise. I'm still not comfortable with how the process went down on our end. That has nothing to do with you guys. Um, but what, what's what's interesting to me about listening to you is I we got the same diva ish sense here. And I don't think he would have ever been okay here not being a number one. Um, now you're talking about, well, if the Mavs are going to win, he might need to be a number three. Or do you think they will they will need to move him at some point in some kind of a package for, I, I mean, you you know all the same names that I do that right. may be out there. I, what are you, Where are your thoughts on that? I want to move him because I think home court advantage is huge. And I don't know how you get home court advantage in the Western Conference. Uh, if your second best player supposedly is only going to play 65% of the games, uh, you know, in a season, because you've got to get to about 60 wins in the Western conference to be a top four seed. So I don't know how you do that. The other thing too, is last year, they only played him in five games out of the eight in the bubble and he immediately gets hurt in the playoffs and is out for the playoffs. The other thing too is, which it's on the down low here. Dallas is because I played in New York. I know the difference in media. It's very protective here. It's a great place to be protected in Dallas versus New York is if you watched last night and while we're doing this podcast, this is when Luca hits the running three pointer. Go watch Porzingis's reaction to that. Tell me he's excited for that win. 
him and Luca, they don't say it, but I've watched interviews. It's almost like, well, we're here to win this and that. If you listen to their interviews after the game, this is from a mass fan. Usually Luca doesn't praise Porzingis and Porzingis doesn't praise Luca. I think Luca is so competitive. He hates that the dude sits out, that the dude at times, you know, doesn't perform up to expectations. And then I think Porzingis is upset because he's like, I'm as good as Luca. I want all the Luca praise. I want the ball as much as Luca. And so the problem is Porzingis, he does need to be a number three on a championship team. Brian Scalabrini, I've talked to him and he's like, he's a number three on a championship team. On an average team, he's a number two. The problem is, is I don't think Porzingis, I think Porzingis would rather be on a bad team and be the number one player than be on a great team and be the number three because I don't even think he likes being the number two. I could, I could absolutely see that. Um, it's going to be very, very interesting. And I, I want to reference a tweet that you had, um, maybe it was a few weeks ago now, where you, you called it out. You're like, look, if this organization doesn't do right by this kid, um, he's going to pull a LeBron. And I'm wondering, you know, you, I think you kind of implied that it would be, well, let me, let me just ask you, do you think that there's a possibility he doesn't sign a full five-year max? Um, and goes with the three-year, which I don't think we've seen anybody do since LeBron, Wade, Bosch, which we now know why they did that. uh, Luca's hero is LeBron James. That's who he looks up to the most. He played in Real Madrid. Real Madrid is the L.A. Lakers of European basketball. That is the number one team, the sellout, the you got to go see Real Madrid. He didn't come from when we think of the Greek freak or we think of Dirk Nowitzki – they came from B-level leagues. They came from little leagues. They didn't come from the European league where you were on the team. He was 18 years old, MVP, winning championships, the toast of the town. He's not going to stay in Dallas if this team's just competing for maybe home court advantage and a series win. LeBron's his hero. I do think L.A. is very intriguing to him. I think that he would stay in Dallas – if they're winning, if the, and they don't have to win championships, but if you're in the conference finals, if you're winning 60-plus games, if you're close, I think he would do it. But I do think he's going to just sign a three-year extension and try to, if it doesn't work out, he's a guy that doesn't get hurt. He does need to work on his conditioning and his shape. Like if there's one thing with him, he came out of shape this yeah. year. Uh, he can get nicks and bruises kind of a, a little bit easy, not like Porzingis, but – he can, he can kind of miss a game here and there just based off of wear and tear. So he does need to work on his conditioning and his body. But like I've talked to a lot of young guys, like when you're 21, 22, you just don't think about that a lot. You know, you just, you, you can play forever. So especially when you're one of the most famous athletes in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you're, so, you know. I'm not saying he's going to leave. I think that the Mavericks, this is year three for him, yeah. that they have another four years of him. And a lot of people are like, stop worrying about that. But I'm like, yeah, you know what? You want to tell Cleveland Cavaliers fans, I know that I know that LeBron came back and won. Yeah. But if LeBron would have never came back, you know, all that worrying they did, you'd been like, I wish our front office would have been worrying like that in year three and year four of LeBron. So I look at it and go, you don't need instant success. We always love to skip the, the steps to a championship, and sure. the Mavericks aren't going to skip any steps right now. But if they just stick with Porzingis and they stick with these undrafted free agents, second round pick um, type of role players, they're just not going to get to where Luca wants. 
And Luca wants to be the number one player in the world. And that's tough to do on just a pretty good team in the NBA. Well, the, 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 the LA piece of it is interesting because whereas I think, you know, for 99.9% of the players in the league, maybe to go to a Chicago or to go to an LA, you're worried about playing in the shadow of Kobe or MJ or whatever. Luca's not going to have to worry about playing in anybody's shadow. The, the day he comes, it's like, okay, I'm going to start. This is now the Luka Doncic era of wherever I am. Um, just because you brought it up, I have to ask this. The the notion that they need to be competitive now um, – they're the the his max contract they'll offer him whatever he wants obviously this right. summer and then that kicks in so the cap space like they have this summer for the cap space um i i do how important do you think it is to get a name this summer and one name that i saw you throw out there who again dick fans are a little bit on me about this because they don't like this guy and i do demar derozan it's gonna be a free agent um i I kind of like him for the Knicks as kind of like a de facto point guard option veteran to carry them over for a little bit. Um, do you like him for this team as a target and, and um, anybody else that you have your eye on going into the summer? I like DeMar DeRozan. I don't know what his market's going to be because he's you know, 33 years old. Doesn't, you know, in today's NBA is a little bit of a tougher fit because he doesn't spread the court out at all. I totally get all those things from my perspective. And I think from the Knicks perspective, because I love Julius Randle. He's from here. I yeah. wanted him so bad when he was a free agent. Somehow the Mavericks uh, people that were connected to Cuban and Carlisle and stuff were like, oh, no, Dwight Powell's a better fit. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And they're like, yeah, but he sets good picks and he gets alley-oops. And I'm like, that's all he can do. He's like the most athletic, clumsy guy on the court every night. You don't want a dude averaging 21 and 9 that's improving his game right now? And like, nope, not good. And I'm like, all right. And now we see what, how, you know. Julius Randle's doing, obviously, R.J. Barrett is a player growing and getting a little bit better, quickly looks like a pretty good pick, is what the Mavericks need and maybe what the Knicks need is they need somebody who's gone through the war. Yeah. They need somebody who, right now, I'll give you an example. Chris Paul, you don't think Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton want to take it easy? They lose 50-plus oh. games every year, yeah. and now they're in the second seed, and Chris Paul is not taking – his finger off of those guys saying, no, this isn't good enough. We got to keep pushing. Maybe we want the one seat. If we slow down, the West will catch up. And then you're going to be looking going, man, why did we think we had it so great when we had to keep pushing? Nobody for the Mavericks knows that. DeMar DeRozan has been through a lot of playoff battles. He knows that. He's not the perfect fit. This is not a great free agent class. I know the Knicks have no. like 60 million in cap space. I, I think like the Knicks for a, a guy like them, Maybe Kyle Lowry's a nice guy to get on a short deal yeah. to add to veteran mix, three-point shooting, because, you know, Randall's okay at it. Um, lefty uh, R.J. Barrett's getting better at it. You know? They just need so, someone to run the offense. That's, right. that's what the Knicks need. Yeah. yeah, and so I look at both teams and go, I do think the Mavs are ahead of the Knicks in, in getting to where they need to go, but I think that both teams need a little bit of veteran presence. So when times get tough, when – uh, whether it's a tough game in the playoffs, whether it's a tough stretch during the season, that there's a guy that they can go to and they can say, I've been doing this for 12 years. Let me mm -hmm. tell you how to do it. Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of fans asking me now, like, where would we be if we had Chris Paul on this team? And I've, I've said it, I think they'd be in the running for a three seed. Maybe not at that level, but like, you know, on the verge. And it is because of Randall and you brought him up. Um, is it fair to say that, I mean, I think it, but do, do you think people in Dallas – 
would rather have Julius Randle than KP right now? I would 100%. Like, it's not even close. I, I think Julius Randle is right on that 15 to 20th best player in the NBA. That's where so I, I have him. I don't think he's going to make all NBA. Like there's an outside chance he makes third team, but we're talking about, I, I go back and forth. Uh, me and Andrew talk about this all the time. Does he rev a real, it's good with Butler and Tatum and you know, yeah. the Clippers guys are both going to get, yeah, it's going to be tough. So he's right on that borderline. And for me, Porzingis is somewhere between the 31st and 40th best player. And that's with health. Like, yeah. If, if you count how many games he misses, I don't think he's a top 50 player in the NBA. He's right at that number 50 mark because of how many games he misses. And so to me, it's no comparison. And I get that Porzingis can be at times a, a, a nightmare at times. But, you know, what Julius Randle did the other night, 32 points, hitting clutch shots to close out the game, his toughness, you know, like to me, he's almost like this modern day Zach Randolph. I know he's a little bit different, but yeah. just like, he, like, has ball skills that Randolph didn't, like, super have. But I don't know, like, the way the game's evolved, I just – I love him. I mean, I, I love Julius Randle. And if he was here, if the Mavericks wouldn't have stupidly uh, gone after Dwight Powell and re-signed him, and I think the other one – and it wasn't bad, but, like, Seth Curry maybe or somebody else. And just given the $20 million a year to Julius Randle to be at home, and maybe he didn't want to be here. I don't know if the Mavericks didn't want him at all. If they had – KP would probably be really upset, but if you had <laughs> Luca and you had Randall as your one, two combination that that would be devastating. I saw a stat today. Luca makes 21.4 points of his 30 points a game off of unassisted plays. There's nobody on the Mavs that can set him up. There's that when he has to do everything for everybody. And, and, and so if Randall is like, I don't know, like kind of a point forward at times and, and that could really help out Luca. Well, that's what, what I'm particularly excited about moving forward because nobody's under any illusions here that Julius Randle could be the best player on a championship team. But with the development of the shooting and with obviously the willingness with the passing and and quite frankly, just he's a playmaker now. Um, I think he could play off of a number one a lot more easily than I think most people would have thought a year ago. Um, so that's exciting. A couple other players I want to get to and then um, a couple quick bets ones and then we'll get you out of here. Um Jalen Brunson um, was what I was. I was wondering if you were going to say him instead of Porzingis when I asked you about the uh, second yeah. best player earlier. I, we love him here in New York. Um, the, the obviously the connection with um, not only um, his father uh, had Leon Rose as was his first client, um, but also there's been rumors off and on that his dad is going to join the coaching staff at some point. I, I had somebody you know message me over the summer, be like, "It's happening this week," and it didn't end up happening. Um, it, it's an interesting situation because they can't make him restricted. He's, he's under contract next year for nothing. And then he goes into the market. Um, is there already concern in Dallas that he is going to depart at some point? Yes, but Mark Cuban is in love with him in love. He should be. Uh, I don't know if you saw the report, but when teams were looking to add veteran help to the Mavs, I think it was Brian Winhor said, he was on the untradeable list pretty yeah. much for the Mavs, unless you had an all-star on your team that you were willing to give. And so that being said, I think he can kind of be like Derek Fisher on a okay. championship team. You know, I know yeah. lefty, you know, kind of like not point guard, but can play that role. He's so tough. He plays hard. He's one of those guys though. When I look at it, I want him. I like him. I think he's a great either kind of fifth starter on your team or one of your major guys off the bench. 
But the Mavs do need to look because of their lack of talent and because the Knicks have their pick this year and in 2023, you're limited on your trade options. So if it does take, I hate saying this because I like them, Brunson. Yeah. If it takes Porzingis and to add Brunson to go get that second guy, I have to do it because the second guy is more important than having a really good Jalen Brunson. You know, you'd have to hope. I don't know what he's going to be like. He could be nothing. Is Tyrell Terry, who they took with the first pick in the second round. Could a guy like that yeah. next year step into like a 15 to 20 minute backup point guard role? And he's more of like a shooter than a point guard. But I love Jalen. Jalen is a championship contributing player, but I'm not opposed to trading him if it gets you that number two guy that you need. Yeah, I've been tossing around in my head. Um, I think Jalen Brunson is worth more than your 2023 pick, but if you guys had the 2023 pick back, it changes what you could do on the trade market in terms of packages that you could get. So I just, in my head, I'm like, is there a deal that could be structured between these two teams around that? I don't, I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens. And um yeah in the in the coming seasons um timmy timmy hardaway jr last mavs question he um i think Knicks fans had kind of a love-hate relationship with tim i think we appreciated him for what he was recognized him for what he wasn't the contract was the contract um is it important that you guys bring him back this offseason if we do we're out of free agent money <laughs> so yeah. that's the tough thing and I, I think what you just said there is the way that we are for two weeks we're like dude is this guy our second best player? Oh, he and, yeah, he looks like that sometimes. <laughs> and then for the next two weeks, which he's in this stretch right now, you're like, we can't play him a lot because he's horrible on defense. The straight line drives that he gives up. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you have the thing is, is like when somebody else does it, you know, you're like, well, you're not talented enough to stay in front of NBA players. But I'm like, Tim, you are athletic enough to stay in front of most of these guys, at least make it difficult for them never, to get to the rim. Never and made any sense. He's a gunner, you know, and, and that's fine. You know, Vinny Johnson a long time ago, uh, whether you go to, you know, Swaggy P, whether you go to J.R. Smith, where, you know, there's plenty of guys that make livings in the NBA. Like when I touch it, I'm shooting it. And Tim Hardaway is if I've touched it, I have to shoot it type of guy. And when it's going in, you're like, that's awesome. Yeah. Averaging about 17 a game. The problem is, is you'd like for his bad games to be like 12 and his good games to be 22. So you know what you're getting, but he goes for 30 and then five yeah. and it'll be like 30, 27, 28, 30. And then you go five, zero, seven. And you're like, what, who are you tonight? You know, who are you for this week? So I would be very careful giving him a long-term contract. But like I said, Unless Mark Cuban is great at lying, and part of the job of being an owner and a general manager is lying, yeah. he seems to be in love with Tim Hardaway Jr. So I would not be surprised if they go four years and $80 million, and Oof. then the Mavericks have like $10 million left. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, in free agent money. And I think it's a bad decision, but the way Mark Cuban talks about Tim Hardaway Jr., I'm afraid that he has fallen in love. And he's a great person, right? Great he's a great student, kid. Yeah. Great person. You know, all of these things. Tim Hardaway Jr. played here a little, or Tim Hardaway Sr. Hardaway played Jr. here a little bit in Dallas, so there's a connection there. And so I like him. I would like to keep him at like $12 million a year, but I'm afraid of uh, what Mark Cuban will do to keep him uh, in, in free agency. Yeah. To me, he's more of a full, full mid-level, maybe a little bit over the full mid-level guy. Like you're just saying the 12, um, man, it just get around the screen once in your life when it matters, get around the screen. Um, you brought it up before about the media in New York versus the media in Dallas. Um, you, uh, spent a year with Mets 2003. Um, I was looking at that roster before man, cast of characters. Um, how different, What's that? A lot of good names. A lot of good names. Like um, mine, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Complete <laughs> game. Um, how different is it to play in New York in this market versus essentially everywhere else in the country? It's a lot different from where I play, just to give people who I played for. Cleveland, Texas here in you know Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, Washington Nationals. So those were my four teams in the major leagues. And – after a game is over, the, the coldness to the questions that you get in New York, like I remember just to give an example here in Texas, my last game I pitched here, uh, and I didn't pitch much here, but the last game I pitched, I pitched four innings and I gave up three runs. So not a good start, not a bad start. Just like, you know, all right, you know, not the media didn't even come and talk to me. This is the, I played in New York, 02 and 03. So I'm sitting there like, and you know, usually there'd be 20 people that would come at you once to start, talk to a starting pitcher. Why'd you do this? Do you think Roger Cedeno should still be on the team? Is he the best center fielder? You know, uh, do you think you should still be in the big leagues after that performance, right? Those are questions in New York you get after you have an average to below average game and you're, you know, not much of a player. And here in Texas, it's like, we don't want to bug you. We know that it wasn't your best. And so we'll just let you kind of go home and everything like that. And it was like, wow. And I remember being on New York in 03 and coming here to Texas and we were facing Colby Lewis. Colby Lewis is a big time prospect at the yeah. time. And we get him for like six runs in an inning and two thirds and they take him out. And I grew up here and I just forgot what it was like. And it was a golf clap for six runs in an inning and two thirds. And I'm like, Dude, I gave up nine runs on opening day and they had to pick up all the plastic bottles they were throwing on the field for the crap that I, you know, put out on the field that day. So I was like, it's a, it's a big difference. Uh, I never got to play in New York when it was good. Like John Franco and Al Leiter and the guys that were there when it was good were like, man, when it's good here, it's never better. Unfortunately, 02 and 03, it wasn't good. So I didn't get to experience it. I love New York. Like I love the city. Uh, I did like playing for the Mets. I wish that there would have been more stability when I was there. That was 
when Steve Phillips and, and uh, Bobby Valentine hated each other and were battling for the, the position of leader there. And then you had uh, the, the sell kind of, cause um, help me out here. Double day sells all of his yeah. to uh, Will, Will Pond, Will yeah. Pond. Yeah. yeah. So then that causes, I remember, <laughs> I, I just remember meetings uh, in late 2002 when we don't win a game at home in August and then early 2003 is Bobby Valentine's been let go or Hal, who's a great guy, uh, but not much of like, at least like bringing those guys together. Um, Cause they just kept separating more. It was just, I wish there was more stability there. I loved playing for Bobby Valentine. A lot of the veterans did not, but that was my childhood manager here in Texas. Charlie Huff was an awesome pitching coach and he's doing good things for the dot Think about the Dodgers development right now, Charlie Huff's part of that in their minor league system. So I loved having him as a pitching coach. And when all of that changed, they started jacking with my mechanics, jacking with all kinds of different things. And I was inside my head on the mound in 03, 02. I was pretty good for the Mets. 03, I was inside my head with all the different things I was being told to do and not to do and everything. Um, two more. You've been so generous with your time that uh, two more. I'm going to get you out of here. Um, I, so as a favor to my wife, the biggest Met fan I know, she requests, if you could, one, doesn't have to be a long one, one Bobby Valentine story. Uh, does she want it to be positive or negative? Whatever you, your call. <laughs> All right. So I'll give you a positive one. Uh, well, I don't know if it's positive, but he, it was really nice of him to do this for me. Okay is we're coming to the end of the season and I like Pedro Estacio. He was a great teammate, but I'm pitching well at the end of 2002. I'm one of the better starters on the team. Al Leiter's our best, but I'm, I'm arguably pitching the second best out of the rotation and Traxel's in it and, and guys like that. And he says, Mike, we get home from a road trip. There's about two to three weeks left in the season. He goes, Mike, can I drive you back to the hotel? And I say, sure, because – I got to meet him in 87 when I was a kid because my dad used to play for the Rangers. So uh, he kind of knew who I was and I had a good relationship with him. And so Bobby's driving me back to the hotel and I don't know why, but he has to talk to me and he says, Mike, I have to take you out of the rotation. And so I'm kind of like, okay, at least I'm staying in the big leagues. There's no more minor leagues at this point. It's halfway through September, but just to show like the business behind sports, he goes, Pedro Astacio has a clause in his contract of innings pitched or games started. I can't remember which one it was, but if he, if, if I take him out of the rotation and keep you in it, he's going to sue that oh we God. intentionally did it, that, that he didn't hit a, a bonus uh, that we weren't going to pay to take him out of the rotation. And so I've talked to management and they said, they don't want to deal with that. So we're just going to keep Pedro Astacio in the rotation and we're just going to move you to the bullpen. And so I was, you know, there's nothing you can do. I'm 24-ish years old. And I'm, you know, I'm just like, okay, uh, I understand. I thought Bobby was very nice to explain why I got taken out of the rotation and to be honest with me uh, about it. But that's kind of behind the scenes sometimes when stuff happens, when you're like, why is this guy out of the rotation? Why is this guy playing more minutes? Could be somebody in the front office or some sort of small thing in a bonus structure of the contract that they're like, look, we don't want to deal with the Players Association. We don't want to deal with the agent. We're just going to go ahead and do it this way so we don't have to hear it. So that was uh, Bobby being honest with me on taking me out of the rotation uh, with two or three weeks to go uh, in the 2002 season. Um, 
It's a great story. All right. Uh, last but certainly not least, we have a special edition of Producers Corner here. Uh, Mr. Claudio, you want to take it away? I will. First of all, Mike, I, I we've obviously talked before the pod and over messaging. Uh, as a Mets fan, it is incredible to hear that how frustrated you were with the Mets that I, as a fan, <laughs> justified in my frustrations with the Mets. Because you mentioned the 0-2 team. That's the year they traded for Robbie Alomar. They traded for Mo Vaughn. Jeremy Burnett is on the team. And they were trying to compete with the Yankees. And obviously, you saw firsthand how poorly that went. So thank you for, for sharing some of the Mets stuff. I think in the future, I may just, you know, message you to, hey, can you tell me more? A little bit behind the scenes <laughs> Mets stuff. I just, yeah. regardless of whether we're recording it or not, uh, there is a non-Mets question that I have. And I think uh, non-Mets fans will want to hear your perspective. <laughs> But going into the now infamous game in 07, where you're pitching it in San Francisco for the Nationals, and Barry Bonds is sitting on 755 career home runs, if you could take me through that day, if you would be so kind, and was it like, I'm not giving up the home run tonight, I'm not going to change how I pitch, I'm going to try and get him out, every I'm going to be careful that I don't become a statistic, if you could take us through that start that obviously Barry Bonds did eventually take you deep for. Well, I was very nervous. I was the second game of the series. And so you got an idea of what the environment would be like. And now that I've got to go to World Series games in 2010 and 2011 here in Texas, it was like a World Series environment uh, for the for that series. And so I was nervous going into that day. And I was talking to my dad on the telephone. He pitched in the majors for five seasons. And he said, you know what? And we were out of the playoff race. So he's like, Mike, if you, I'm really Michael to him, but he's like, Michael, if, if you go out there and you challenge him and you get him out all three times, nobody's going to remember it, but I'll remember it that you went after him and that you, uh, with the record on the line, attacked him and got him out. Um, so I kind of took that as like, positive reinforcement, be aggressive if I can. Now, the scouting report was if there's runners in scoring position, even though it was his last year, he was still that good. It's like we're pitching around him and going to the next guy. He came up with nobody on base all three times uh, in that game. And so I was nervous uh, during that game more than than normal uh, when that was going on. And unfortunately, I really didn't make very good pitches to him most of the night, you know, and so some people are like, oh, you intentionally did. I was like, man, I was just trying to keep my ass in the major leagues, <laughs> intentionally losing or intentionally giving up runs. I didn't have to try too hard to give up runs in the major leagues. You can go look at my ERA. <laughs> so when it comes to, to that game, I was nervous. It was exciting. Uh, you know, I challenged him in situations and uh, that pitch, I threw a breaking ball on three and two and he fouled it down the first baseline. And kind of the report was don't really repeat pitches back to back. Mm -hmm. So he's just so good at timing and seeing things. If you throw back to back breaking balls and I had a very good changeup. Like if I'm going to brag about myself, I had a great changeup in the major leagues, had obviously a below average speed fastball, but very good location and a below average breaking ball, more of a kind of get me over, get some ground outs breaking ball, not a wipe out, like strike three breaking ball. So I threw the breaking ball. He fouls it off. It only goes foul by a foot, six inches. And then I go fastball away and it runs back over the plate. 
he hits it. He knows it. He hits it. I know it. And I felt horrible, man. I felt, I always say like, I kind of felt like Mitch Williams. I remember as a kid watching Mitch give up the homer to Joe Carter. And I'm like, man, this sucks. Mm. And um, so anyways, we go off the field. Demetri Young was a great teammate. And he's like, don't worry. We got you. Felipe Lopez is like, we're going to win this game. Don't worry. And I mean, in my head, I'm like, I don't give a crap about winning the game. I just freaking gave up the home run to like, break the record. Um, but I go back out there, get two outs. Uh, then afterwards, I kind of like con- like after it's over, after the fifth inning is over, I get taken out of the game and I'm kind of like, it wasn't the end of the world. We didn't lose the world series. We didn't lose playoff seating or anything like that. And we did come back and win the game. And so when it was all over, I realized, Hey, he has 756 of these things. I'm not the only one to give them up. Some of the fans that sent me fan well letters thought that I gave up all 756, which was interesting when they oh, blamed no. me for it. Um, but uh, it was one of those things where I don't mind it because I get to talk baseball about it. I didn't know this, but it kind of led to media because I was good enough in interviews that people were like, hey, this guy can talk a little bit. Maybe he might be able to do something after his career is over in talking sports or talking baseball. So it led to uh, kind of a secondary career, which was really cool. That's I, thank you for your perspective. I I will shy away from the infamous question about Barry Bonds and a specific ballot that he's on next year because I don't want to put you on the spot. But I can imagine. I know what you're. Oh, do you want to answer it? I'll tell you. I think okay, he yes, should please. Be, I think, think he should be in. Be okay. In. Okay. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Roger Clemens should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think there's guys in the Hall of Fame that might have not tested positive for steroids, but we all know as fans and as former players that they probably did steroids. I never saw anybody take any shots. I never saw anybody take any pills, but I know that guys did it during that time. I was talking to Vernon Wells the other day. I saw him at a high school baseball game and um, we were talking about our time and trying to guesstimate how many did, but we kind of had a good idea when guys made major improvements or major strength improvements. Like now we know probably how they did that. We might've been a little bit naive at the time. And at times we kind of knew what was happening, but I think he should be in because there's guys that are in that did it. We know they probably did it, but because Bonds and Clemens were the best on steroids, they don't get in. Yeah. It's it's a little, I agree. Yeah. yeah, no, it's I'm, tough. It's very tough. It's it's not an easy conversation, but I don't mind having it. Okay, well, we, I'll, John, I'll, I'll hand it over to you. In just one second. Just, sure, please. I've seen four complete games in person <laughs> in my life. I knew this was at coming Shea, up. Well, Shea and City Field. One is R.A. Dickey, two are Pedro Martinez, and one is Mike Bassick. So this was mm-hmm. quite literally an honor. Thank you, John. Take it away. I'm gonna second that. Um, Those guys Cy Youngs. <laughs> well, I mean, but you have a Cy Young in the mind of Andrew Claudio and anybody else who was there that day. So that's more important. All I heard is that in the lists of guys that I mentioned there, there's in total six Cy Youngs. You're in that category. If, <laughs> do, you remember my squeeze, do you remember my squeeze button that game? Yes, probably. I was like 13. So I'm sure I remember. <laughs> I remember you pitching the ninth inning and looking at your stat line. And if you go to today where DeGrom goes six innings, 66 pitches and gets pulled, you gave up like three runs in that game. And they still like you're getting outs. That was what the baseball used to be. He's getting outs. Let's, let's keep him on the mound. But. I remember Al Leiter telling me this. 
And he told Sean Estes this too. We were together. And he said, I don't want to ever hear you complain unless you pitch seven innings about uh, the bullpen losing you uh, a win. Mm-hmm. He said, you leave the bullpen uh, nine outs or more to, to get you your win, you can't complain. You want to bitch and moan to me about how the bullpen blew your win if you got 21 outs? We can talk about it and, and, and we can complain about it. But can you imagine if Al Leiter went into a clubhouse today and told the starting pitchers, you better not bitch and complain about a bullpen blowing your win unless you pitch seven innings. Oh, man. Meanwhile, oh. they don't pitch seven innings anymore, which is the frustrating part. Um, oh, gosh. Yeah. I remember late career Leiter with the Yankees when he would go four innings and he would have like 100 pitches after four. I'm not an exaggeration. I was at a game where he pitched 100 pitches after four innings. Um, Al was the best. Um, Mike, this was, I speak on behalf of Andrew, I speak on behalf of all of our listeners. This was an honor. This was really special. This was really cool and a ton of fun. You just got to make me one deal. When the Knicks play the Mavericks in the 2000, um, I don't know, let's call it 23 NBA Finals. We'll get on and we'll do this one more time, all right? That would be awesome. And hopefully Porzingis isn't part of it. Or he's way better than he is now. <laughs> or he's probably watching the game on the bench because his wrist hurts or something. Oh, you, you really you throw me off here. Um, <laughs> again, uh, if you are he's a good player, but he's, he's a good player. Wonderful player. He's a great guy too. Um, <laughs> follow Mike Basic on Twitter. It's at Mike B A C S I K. Again, uh, radio host on one hundred five three The Fan. Um, great con. You can go on their website. I was just watching a bunch of stuff today. They clip stuff. It's fantastic. Again, the pre and the post game coverage for Rangers. Uh, I know we have a lot of baseball fans. Valley Sports Southwest. Mike, thank you one more time, really, for your time today. Man, thanks, guys. That was really fun. Absolutely. And everybody else uh, listening, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We'll be back with you with another one very soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.